Welcome to You're Calling Our Podcast, the podcast for Evangel University. Evangel actually comes from the Greek word eugelion, which is transcribed as good news. And we want to share good news with you about the incredible ways members of the Evangel community are changing the world. I'm your host, Hector Cruz, and I work in the University Advancement Office at Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri. In this season, we're exploring all of the exciting new beginnings taking place all around us at Evangel. Before introducing our guests, we'd like to thank the Assemblies of God Credit Union for sponsoring this podcast. Founded by Assemblies of God employees in 1951, AGCU provides day-to-day banking services for people across the United States and missionaries in 190 countries worldwide. When you bank with AGCU, you're helping support church ministry, university scholarships and programs, and humanitarian efforts. You can visit www.agcu.org for more. Our guest today is Chase Replegal. Chase is the pastor of Bent Oak Church in Springfield, Missouri. He holds a degree in biblical studies from Central Bible College and a master's in Master of Arts in New Testament from the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. He also worked at Evangel, and we worked together for quite a few years, uh, and so I'm sure we'll have some stories. And he married an Evangel alum as well. So all three of our important schools, he's got a connection to them. Chase is the author of The Five Masculine Instincts, which is coming out very soon, and excited to dig into that more. His work draws from history, psychology, literature, and a rich narrative approach to scripture to help readers think more deeply about faith and life. He's written for Christianity Today, The Gospel Coalition, Ecstasis, did I say that right? You got it. Perfect. Bible Engagement Project and Influence Magazine. In addition, he hosts the Pastor Writer Podcast, which you should totally check out even before checking out, even before continuing to listen to this one. And you can learn more at pastorwriter.com, where he interviews Christian authors on writing and publishing. Man, you do a lot. There's a lot there, which I knew already, uh, but just so excited for you to join the podcast, Chase. Welcome. Yeah, well, thank you. It's a real honor and uh, care a lot about the institutions you represent and glad to be an alumni of them and have a connection. And so it's uh, really privileged just to be able to be on the podcast. Well, this is really, I have to be honest up front, it's, this is intimidating for me because of the quality and execution of the podcast that you run. Uh, and here I am, now you're the guest, and I'm sure you're, you've been the guest on others, but uh, I'm sure, uh, in my head, I'm thinking he's judging me. He's judging me this whole time. Just a cause... fun conversation, nothing to worry about. So. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love listening to your podcast, and I'm really excited to talk more about your book here in a little bit. Um, but let's get to know you a little bit more with some fun icebreakers. The theme of our magazine uh, this in this edition is New Beginnings, and so you've got some new beginnings that are going on in your world, and, and you're new to the podcast, so we want to get to know you a little bit. So share a little bit about where you were born and a little bit about your family. Sure. I, uh, I'm originally from this area. Uh, I was born in Marshfield. Uh, my dad was a state trooper growing up, so we moved quite a bit, although it was always within the state of Missouri. And uh, once he had a certain rank, uh, we moved to Jefferson City, where the headquarters are. And so I really think of Jefferson City as home, but I have a lot of roots in this area. Uh, my wife, uh, Ashley, is a graduate in the nursing program at Evangel, and she's from this area originally as well, too, Ozark. And so we uh, we live in Ozark today, pastor here in Springfield. I've got a couple of kids, uh, Will and Charlotte, and so it uh, feels very much like home, like being back home. And every now and again, our daughters are in the same gymnastics class. And so uh, that's a lot of fun to see them run around out there. And sons probably to meet on a t-ball field at some point soon, too. So Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. So what's your uh, what's your favorite food? Uh, favorite food. Um, I am a sucker for good Indian food. There's a great Indian restaurant in Branson on the strip called India Clay Oven. You didn't know you were getting restaurant recommendations. Really? No, that, I love this. But if you if you were going through Branson, that is, and I've had Indian food in lots of places, That that's the place, India Clay Oven. Okay, awesome. 
coffee or tea oh coffee yeah do you drink it black I do. I did, used to not drink coffee at all until my wife, she was every morning coffee. And then, you know, a year into marriage, somehow you just, you give in. And so now I'm as addicted to it as she is. So black coffee every morning. And I knew you were a black coffee guy. I just had to ask for people. You're, you're more of a man than I am, which is why I'm excited <laughs> to read your book about masculinity. Maybe I'll learn a thing or two. Yeah, there's um, not a whole lot about drinking black coffee in it. So <laughs> you'll be disappointed. All right. What's your favorite hobby? Uh, so, you know, I have a couple, my wife and I have a sailboat on Stockton Lake, not far from Springfield, okay. nothing fancy, a little 25 foot boat, but we love to go up there and sail and the kids swim. And then, uh, in the fall, I've got a bird dog. I love to bird hunt quail and pheasant hunt. And so, uh, um, yeah, those two are probably my biggest hobbies. Awesome. Um, as a writer and somebody who's interviewed a lot of writers, do you have a preference on a hard copy book or an audio book? Oh, that's a really, that's probably the hardest question you've asked yet. Um, <laughs> it's both. Like, I don't even know how to answer it. If I'm in the car, it's obviously an audio book. If I'm yeah. home, I tend to at night be actually reading a book, but if I'm doing chores, maybe it's an audio book. So that's a, uh, uh, that's an impossible question for me. It's probably 50, so, 50. Do you, do you find that you retain the information when you're reading a, a hard copy book better than when you listen to the audio book? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I really like the audiobook format. I always struggle to say I read a book if I listen to it. Like, I don't know if that's fair to say. Yeah, like, no, that's like, my lying problem or something. So yeah, yeah I feel but, like it doesn't but, uh, count. Yeah, I, honestly, like I tend to, I, I mean, here's one distinction. I tend to like novels on audiobook format. I tend okay. to read more nonfiction in, in print. Uh, but that's not always exclusively true. So it's on, if I've got a trip coming or I'm going to be in the car, I tend to grab an audiobook. And so I don't know if there's a rhyme or reason to it. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the most common answer is, you know, if you're doing something or particularly driving, uh, obviously, the audiobook is is the preferred method. But I'm like you, like, if I listen to an audiobook, I kind of feel like I need to go back. It's like reading to me, it's like reading the Cliff's Notes version. Did you really read the book? Yeah, it feels weird to you... say I listened to a book. It doesn't, right. feel, it doesn't have the weight of I read that book. Yeah, yeah, our vernacular hasn't quite caught up to the technology yet. We haven't yeah. figured out how to how to explain to people what we're doing. So, okay, cool. Uh, what is the most adventurous thing that you've done? Oh boy. Um, my life is not that adventurous. Uh, become a dad. That feels probably like the most adventurous phase yeah. of my life right now. So. Yeah, that's, that's a good answer. Cause there's a lot of adventure in, in that. Yeah, It's always one. All right. Favorite animal. Uh, I like dogs. I mentioned, I've got a bird dog, Millie. She's a Brittany Spaniel. So I'm a, yeah, she's probably the favorite animal would be her. Okay, cool. She's usually she's, she's not here in my office now, but often she's in the chair behind me. So I was gonna say I hope she's, she's downstairs listening. to keep this quiet. So yeah, okay. Well, that's fair. Uh, okay, music. Do you have a certain song or music artist that you're like really into right now? I, I asked the question that way, because for me, it's hard to say what's your favorite band or, or artist because it kind of changes. What's on repeat for you right now? So I really like bluegrass music, believe it or not. And there's a band called the Punch Brothers that I really like. And unfortunately, my wife came down with COVID a couple of weeks ago and we had tickets to see them in St. Louis and I missed it. So oh, I've man. had that. I've had it on repeat for a while. So, I mean, hey, people have missed far worse. I understand. But uh, that was kind of sad. So, yeah, I've been I've been listening and imagining I was there. <laughs> That's good, man. What a bummer. All right. Um, and so last question before we get into some of the book stuff, what brought you to CBC and then to AGTS? 
So my original plan was to, uh, to, to go to school and study law. I wanted to go eventually get a law degree and practice law. And it was uh, my senior year, summer between my junior and senior year at a, 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 a Assemblies of God youth camp. I mean, many people have had a similar experience. I felt a sense of calling and to ministry and pastoral ministry and wasn't even quite sure what that meant or what that looked like and, and visited a few schools. And um, when I came to CBC, there was something about it that just felt really right to me at the time. And so it was a, a little bit of a hard decision. I walked away from some speech and debate scholarships to some schools and came to CBC, but I look back on it and it was a really formative and a pivotal decision uh, to, to move towards what I sense God calling me to do. And one that I'm, I'm really, really grateful for it and AGTS um, have been really valuable educations. And even as I've pursued some education elsewhere, I just find myself more and more appreciative of what I had. So, you know, you, you were kind of coming to the end of your time at CBC. Did you know right away that you were going to go on and, and pursue a master's at AGTS or did that kind of take some processing? Uh, my wife and I got married young and she was still finishing up a little bit of nursing school. And so I knew I was going to be in Springfield for a little bit. And, and I uh, increasingly through Bible college knew I wanted to keep studying. I felt like there was more I wanted. I always thought of Bible college as an opportunity to learn and the master's program is an opportunity to start articulating those, those things that you learned. And I sensed nice. there was some stuff I wanted to dig deeper into and write. And, and uh, so for me, it was kind of, it made perfect sense family-wise, but then it also seemed like the right next step before ministry. Okay, that's good. Um, before we get into some of the deeper things, I want to do a quick commercial and shout out for AGTS, the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. AGTS serves the larger Pentecostal and evangelical traditions with 21st century leadership for the church and its mission. AGTS is accredited by the Association of Theological Schools and the Higher Learning Commission. AGTS is the embedded seminary of Evangel University, the National School of the Assemblies of God. So um, getting kind of switching gears and getting a little deeper here, how has the idea of calling played out in your understanding and life? I think the way people experience calling can be really unique in the same way that God often works in our lives in unique ways. And sometimes it's only looking back that those things start to make sense. Um, I, I often, when I think of calling, I think I had a really good friend that kind of senior year of high school who felt called to ministry also. And in many ways, he and I were kind of processing it together as we were making mm -hmm. that decision. And we were at a youth, it was youth retreat of some sort. And uh, in the middle, it was good Pentecostal service. In the middle of one of the sermons, the speaker, you know, felt like he had a few words for some people. <laughs> and he pointed to my friend who I'm sitting right next to. And he said, I feel like God's telling me to tell you that he's called you to ministry and he has great things ahead for you. And he's going to use you in a powerful way. And then he went back to preaching and I was like, well, wait a minute. What, what is, <laughs> wait, what about me? Like, yeah. Does that mean I'm definitively not called to ministry because <laughs> he got the word. And, uh, but the truth is like, you know, it didn't rattle me that much. There, there was a sense in me, even at that time that there was something I was supposed to pursue in ministry. And of course, like everyone, I had big ideas about what that would mean and where I would go and what the church would look like that I would pastor. And, along the way, there was always this sort of side work that I did in marketing. So it started off in print design and then moved into web development and then some broader, just marketing digital strategy work. And for a season, I did that even full-time uh, at Evangel. I always imagined that was something that I would sort of end whenever the ministry opportunity came, I would step into that and all of the marketing stuff would end. And it just never quite worked out that way. Um, I, we felt God leading us into a group of people to, to become pastor of a church plant. And so at the time, it seemed like, okay, well, I'll work bivocationally and continue to do some marketing. And that just kind of stayed that way. It seemed like I was having good opportunities in both. Uh, and then to some degree, the writing has been the same. It was always something kicking around and 
because I started to pursue it more. It's not like it, it's not like I quit all my jobs to become a writer. That doesn't happen. And so calling for me has always been this sort of each day figuring out what is God leading you into and then looking back and starting to recognize even now with writing how much that marketing experience helps with promoting a book and recognizing oh the side job helped really take some of the financial stress and gave us a longer runway for church planning and you look back and you start recognizing especially at 18 19 there was no way I could have planned those things out or formulated that but seeing how God used them and and really equipped me for some of those ways and I that I hadn't anticipated um, is a kind of grace, a kind of gift to recognize backwards. So I, th- I think sometimes calling is always thought of future looking. And sometimes yeah. I think you also sense calling by looking back and seeing how God sort of moved us through those callings in ways we might not have predicted. Yeah, that's, I, I agree. I think uh, a lot of times too, calling is almost looked at as, as a position, like, you know, I'm called to be a pastor, for example, or I'm called to a certain position whether that be a doctor or whatever. And, and the years leading up to what, until you're actually in that position can sometimes feel like you're not operating in your calling when mm-hmm. no, we're always operating in whatever the calling God has given us in that moment or in that season. Um, t- talk a little bit about how you fulfilled the pastoral calling element of it as you were working full-time on marketing things. I mean, did you, did you experience some of that where I guess I'm not in my calling yet and, and things like that? How'd you process through some of those things? Yeah, sure. I, well, I Absolutely. I mean, there were times where I, I really felt sort of, well, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought pastoral ministry would be like. This doesn't always feel like being a pastor. Uh, yeah. Some days it just feels like a lot. Uh, <laughs> and then you you also see the what you imagine to be the simplicity of somebody else's calling. Like, wow, they're just pastoring full-time in that congregation. It's going great. And wouldn't that be nice? I mean, you're idolizing something that's probably not real too. They have their own complexities within it. Um, but for me, I, I slowly began to realize in the same way as you're saying it, that my calling was not just to a specific pastoral job, that to be a pastor for me has always been a kind of vocation. It's always been a, a sort of, a, I like the word habit. It's a, it's a way of being. Um, mm-hmm. And so I find myself pastoring, you know, when I'm, there's people that are a part of my congregation that I obviously pastor. And then there's some people on the edges of that, that are family members or friends that still, I kind of have like a pastoral relationship. And the longer I pastor, I'm even recognizing that sometimes in the business relationships I have and the freelance work that I do, or as a, as a, a writer and podcaster, there's a certain pastoral perspective I bring to that work. And so um, I, my first calling is always to be a pastor. I do feel that. And I think, I hope that's always in a congregational setting. My heart is really there. But I do recognize as well that being a pastor is something I don't just do. It's something that I am. And I think that's this deeper sense of what a calling is. Yeah, that's good. That's really well said. One of the things I've always appreciated about you, Chase, is your ability to take kind of a complex or ambiguous question or issue or problem and um, in about two minutes, boil it down to the nuts and bolts of what the issue is and then what the solution is. And so um, I, I was sad when you left Evangel, but understood because you had opportunities to pursue, but just have appreciated maintaining our friendship over the years. And you still just blow me away with your ability to break things down and you know, <laughs> often, often left wondering in complex situations, what would Chase say about this? So, <laughs> well, that's, that's too kind. So there's, there's wiser <laughs> people to wonder what they're thinking, but, uh, these are all questions I've been wrestling with just like anybody else. I mean, if it seems like the answer makes sense, it's just because at one point it very much did not make sense for me. And I've been trying to sort of live these things and understand them as I'm doing them. Yeah, that's good. So what new things, getting back to the theme of, of, of the, of the season, what new things do you have going on in your life right now? And I know the answer to this, but I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about um, about what you have going on. 
Yeah. Well, for me, that's pretty obviously is the writing. Uh, although, uh, you know, there's always this sense of when somebody does something, you learn about it. It seems like it's out of the blue. It's all of a sudden. Uh, and certainly publishing a book, a lot of people just didn't know I was working on this. And it can seem sort of... Uh, it's a first time achievement. It's a first book. Like, wow, I didn't know you were up to that. Although writing for me has been something I've been sort of quietly working on and doing for, for close to a decade now. Um, yeah. A lot of writing that never was published, uh, even by my own choice, but something I've just been trying to learn and grow in. And that's been, for me, a part of this vocational conversation of I've always loved books. I've loved reading, particularly in my educational experience. I mean, uh, I read some growing up, but it was really in college it sounds strange to say, but it was almost as if I, I discovered there were books written for me. It was like I started yeah. finding books that all of a sudden felt very much like the same questions I was asking and the same places I was in. And, and yeah. it sort of unlocked this whole world of reading to me that has just only grown more and more. And I think anybody who loves reading, it's hard not at some point to wonder, could I do this? You know, could I, could I write a book like this? And that question got me sort of working on it. And the more you work on it, the more you, you, you start enjoying it and liking it and feeling that sense of calling to it. And so uh, about six years ago, I remember telling my wife, I think, I think I've got some ideas for a book that I'm going to start working on. And through a whole lot of curves and twists and turns that has led to this new book that's coming out. Uh, really quick, March 1st, The Five Masculine Instincts. It's really been about a six-year project I've been working on. That's awesome. So, I mean, um, how did you land on the topic for the book? What was the evolution of the, of the book uh, these last six years? Yeah, well, so you are probably keenly aware, as soon as you say the word masculinity, everybody listening is trying to decide, well, which side of the existing debate <laughs> are you on, right? That's right. Uh, and as a pastor, I've felt this very keenly, that a lot of the young men I was pastoring, but even beyond the young men, just a lot of men, a lot of moms and wives, a lot of people have been asking and talking about this question of masculinity. And my experience was that there's kind of these two, there's these two ways of coming at the problem. There's the side that says traditional masculinity is toxic. It needs to be reconstructed. And there's the side that says, no, 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 it's, it's salvific. You need to indulge what feels masculine and we need to be indulging masculine instincts and characteristics. And the thing I was experiencing in myself and the men that I was pastoring was, we just keep digging those same ditches deeper. And the thing, they're all tend to be external. And the thing that never actually moves forward is just the simple question, how do I as a man become more like Christ? Mm. Um, it ends up turning into online debates. And we end up having these really strong theological postures that we somehow think make us a man just by having this right view. Yeah. And the men I know, actually, their lives are not all that complicated. They're not as controversial. They're just simple, basic questions about, I want to be better. I want a deeper character in my life, a greater integrity. I want to overcome some of these sins that seem to be hangups. And to be able to do those things, I felt like we needed a kind of new conversation, a way of jumping into this conversation about manhood or what it means to be a Christian man, particularly, that might be able to navigate a path through all the controversy and just lead to men being able to talk about how to grow in character. That's awesome. And I, I, I pre-ordered the book myself, and, and we'll get into how people can do that um, here in just a, a little bit. But you're, you're what I would call an entrepreneurial pastor. I mean, you have, and, and that seems to be more and more of a trend for a lot of pastor friends that I have. There's, they've got a lot of things going on, a lot of other entrepreneurial type things going on through their church. They've got a lot of, a lot of other side hustles going on for themselves personally. Um, you've mentioned just a few that, that you have working on, and I know we've not even talked about, you know, some of the other things I've seen that you're involved in. How do you decide, um, as ideas are coming through your head, how do you decide what to pursue and what to maybe put on the shelf for later? 
Yeah, I like the word entrepreneur, but I would probably be more humble and say, I'm just trying to feed my family. Right? It's like <laughs> just trying to figure the math out at the end of the month. Um, it's uh, it, that's a hard question because there's more opportunities sometimes than you can say yes to. And there's really good things that sometimes you have to say no to. And it is this complicated question of trying to discern, okay, which of these opportunities are God sort of opening doors that move in a direction where he's right. leading and calling. Um, and at times, you know, sometimes you, you say yes and do things, particularly, uh, I think when you're in your twenties and early thirties, you're still just kind of saying yes to a lot to try to figure out what is it I'm good at? What is I really have to contribute? And, um, recently it's more and more feeling like those things are clearer to me about what the kinds of things I want to work on. And, and that's been great. But for me, again, it's like we talked about with calling itself. I think a lot of this is just kind of looking back and recognizing what God pieces together and the opportunities God brings and recognizing those as, as kind of graces, gifts that he, he brings. And this idea of side hustles, you know, certainly you hear about the pastors doing it, but I think you hear about everybody doing it, right? There's, I mean, who doesn't have like an idea for some online business or some yeah. hustle they'd like, or some idea they'd like to pursue. And um, we live in a time where that's more and more possible and that's impacting the way businesses are being run and people are thinking about careers. And so um, maybe if I, by having stumbled my way through some of it can help other people pastorally as they sort of figure out those questions in their life as well. But I think that's just part of the, the new reality, the world we're in less you likely, know, you know, my dad did a job for 35 years and retired and it just doesn't feel like, I think most business owners would even say that, that it feels less and less like that's a possibility today. Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea of pensions or, or, you know, that that's not necessarily as popular as, as, um, as much of an option as, as they were maybe 30, 40 years ago. Um, I stumbled across a, a verse or a section of verses in Ecclesiastes the other day where I felt really affirmed because I've got a few little side hustles that are going on too. And, and it, it, was a, it was a place um, that talked about, it, make a, it said, invest in six ventures. Yes, invest in seven. Um, because you never, basically it said, because you never know which one is going to pan out or not. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, okay, so it's biblical, you know, having more, more irons in the fire than you should is biblical. Yeah. So I felt really affirmed in that. For me too, part of that, you know, I joke about it being just making the math work. Um, you know, I, I pastor a, a, a smaller size congregation and I'm really committed to that sort of like relational approach to ministry, but that means look, it's not a payday to pastor that church. It's not, you know, and, and right. the more I take from the church, as far as my salary, the less we're able to do as a congregation. So I was keenly aware of that. And uh, so kind of intentionally embracing bivocational to give us more options. And then the truth is writing doesn't pay a whole lot. So there's uh, uh, maybe this idea that you just sell a book and then you're in, but that's yeah. not how it works in reality. So a lot of it's me just figuring out okay, I think God has called me to pastor this con this particular congregation and to do some of these writing projects. And okay, God, what other work can I do? Or what? Can, how can you make, help me figure that out? So it's yeah. feasible long-term. I'm not sacrificing my family. I'm not sacrificing you know, the things I need to provide, but I can piece it all together so that I can support. I mean, that's what Paul's doing, right? He's so intense and that's right. uh, taking work that he can find so that he can support ministry the way he feels God's led him to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, writing doesn't pay yet until everybody listening to this podcast pre-orders your book. And then, it would help. It would help. And, so. <laughs> then you'll hit the speaking circuit and you'll be off and running. So uh, this is just the start. So so share a little bit. I mean, you shared a really good synopsis of what the book uh, is about and, and super compelling, in my opinion. Um, what are some ways people can pre-order or, or go out and, and get a copy of, of what you have? And then share a little bit about some of the other resources that you're providing too. 
Yeah, well, thanks. I really appreciate that. It's, um, you know, there's easy ways to learn about the book. So the, the five masculine instincts I actually take from Shakespeare's stages of a man. Uh, and there's some articles I've got on the website about that. But those instincts are sarcasm, adventure, ambition, reputation, and apathy. And I use a biblical character to sort of unpack each of those. And I do have an online assessment. It's nothing scientific, but it's a set of 25 questions that might help you get to thinking about how might those instincts be at work in my life as a man? And uh, you can take that for free, the5masculineinstincts.com with the number five, or you can spell it out. Either way, it'll take you there. And you can do that free assessment. Um, if you pre-order the book, or um, there's a, a study guide you can download PDF, as well as uh, there's a series of podcasts and video interviews. So each are about 15 to 20 minutes. If you're a pastor, it might work well in a group setting. But the book itself, it's available anywhere you buy books uh, in, in all formats. So you can get it on, on a digital format or a print format or an audiobook format. So it doesn't matter if you're in bed reading a hard copy or if you're out mowing the yard or driving, That's got right. you covered. Yeah. And uh, uh, you can do that anywhere you buy books. Um, so Amazon, of course, um, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, uh, Christian Books, anywhere you buy books pretty much has it. And if, any, if people want to learn more about other stuff that you're working on or check in on your, your podcast, what are some ways they can follow you? Yeah, uh, uh, the pastor writers, kind of where most of that content right now, I'm doing a series on specifically the five masculine instincts. But um, once the book launches, and uh, if you go back into some of the back episodes, I'm always interviewing authors about just Christian books that I find interesting, a pretty wide range of those. So if you're interested in just book recommendations or hearing writers talk about what they've been working on, um, there's 170 some past episodes of that and plenty more scheduled to come. I'm excited about some of those upcoming conversations. So just pastorwriter.com is the best way to get that and all the social links are on there as well. Awesome. So obviously you're launching a book. That's something that you'd be excited about for 2022. Anything else that you're excited about as we're kind of still in the beginning stages, Q1 of 2022 that you're excited to accomplish this year? I should have added on there another alumni connection that's okay. what I'm supposed to come with, right? Uh, yeah. Mark Batterson was kind enough to do the foreword for the book on the five masculine instincts. So Absolutely. That's, uh, that's an alumni to add to the list as well, too. But um, upcoming, uh, hopefully this year, my son goes on his first South Dakota pheasant hunting trip. So that's a milestone I'm looking forward to. Nice. Uh, I also mentioned sailing. I'm hoping this year to knock out another level of certifications uh, down in Florida for sailing. So that's that's a hobby one I'm looking forward to. And uh, I'm kicking around some work on a novel. Who knows if anything ever comes of it, if it gets published or not. But uh, as I'm doing all the book promotion side, it's nice to have something a little more creative going on. So I'd like to make some progress on that this year as well. Awesome. Good. So three really good, good goals. And uh, maybe we'll have you on at the end of the year and see how it went for you. <laughs> yeah, none of those were entrepreneurial or paid well either. You know, so we'll see how it goes. So. <laughs> all right. Well, that's good. What I've uh, asked you a bunch of questions. What questions do you have for me? You know, I would love to hear you reflect. You and I are both men, and we talked in the beginning a little bit about reading. One of the things I often hear from publishers, and anecdotally you hear, is that men don't read as much as women, particularly, or the way I'll sometimes describe this, I went to a local Christian bookstore one time, and there was, uh, I think I counted six shelves of books in the Christian women's section, and the Christian men's section was one book shelf. And yeah. uh, as I looked closer, even part of it was spillover from the women's section. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there is this idea that goes around that men just don't read, which I think gets connected to men being less introspective or less deep when it comes to faith. You see some of those across statistics. So I'd be interested to hear you reflect on um, what reading's been in your life and uh, how we get men possibly reading more, if that's true. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I might be a little different. I enjoy reading um, and have always enjoyed school. 
have always enjoyed, you know, I'm in a doctoral program right now. And, and so have always enjoyed um, books and, and learning and all of those things. And I've tried, I've taken to heart a lot of the advice. I'm sure people have heard you're the average of the, the five people you spend the most time with. So I try really hard to find people like you that, that I'm spending time with, you know, not as much as I'd like, but you try to sharpen yourself with people who are sharper than you. And more often than not, the people who are sharper are reading. And so I look at people that I kind of want to emulate, um, whether it be the way they carry themselves as, as a man, the way they parent their children, the way their husbands to their wives. You know, I look at these people who I kind of count as role models and, and try, you try to look to see what are the common themes that are making them successful. And oftentimes they're, they're readers. You know, they may not necessarily promote how much they're reading, but they're, they're reading things and trying to develop themselves. And so um, I, I don't, as far as the, the broader question of how do you get men to read, I, I would be willing to bet there are more men who read than we think, but not enough men read um, in order to develop themselves. Uh, I think audiobooks, I mean, if we're going to count audiobooks as, as reading a book, I think that has certainly helped. Um, the reason I think that, that men sometimes, um, and th maybe this is my own bias, but the reason I think sometimes men don't read as much is because for me personally, like I'm all about efficiency. How can I get as many things done as I can at one time? And when you're reading a book, it can sometimes feel like in your brain, I need to go mow the lawn. I need to go fix the, you know, the light. I need to go do all these other things. It can sometimes feel like a waste of time, um, which might be a reason why some, some men don't sit and read. Um, but the benefits of it far outweigh anything else that you could be working on if you're being intentional with what you're reading. Um, yeah, I don't know the answer to what what to do, but I think a book like like yours, where it's really bridging the gap between the two sides of mas masculinity, the way you described it, um, that's a really compelling thing to me because I think that's really going to resonate with a lot of people that says, "Well, I don't want to pick a side. I don't I don't want to say that masculinity is toxic, but I also don't think that the masculinity that's promoted in some circles is right either." Um, there's got to be a middle ground, and more often than not, on issues like that, it's not an either or; it's a both and. And I think you're tackling that in the realm of masculinity. And I think that'll be a draw um, for a lot of people. Yeah, that's helpful. One of my suspicions has been that men are probably reading more than we realize. They're just not reading the same stuff we yeah. think they should or we're paying attention to. Right. Um, a lot of it is happening digitally, which I think is great. I mean, I have no, if people buy the audiobook, I think that counts. Have at it, you know, yeah, as long as right. it helps you, as you grow through it. But uh, yeah, recognizing that maybe a lot of the reason men aren't reading is just we're not having the conversations that they're thinking about, that they're trying to figure out. And maybe there's a way forward to, to have more of those conversations, write more of those books and, and help men move forward. Right. Maybe you're exactly right. I mean, I would, especially business books, I'm sure men are reading a lot of business books and work-related books. So, I mean, um, there's plenty of content there, but I think content like what you're talking about, men's, you know, Christian men's section of, of things. Um, if you produce compelling content, nine times out of 10, people will find it and consume it. Um, and so maybe that's where we started just by producing content. And instead of doing a market analysis that says, well, men aren't reading this, so we're not going to write it. Well, if it's good and you feel like the Lord's laid it on your heart to write, somebody's going to read it. Yeah. So anyway, we could we could go on with that. Maybe that'll be episode two, but just appreciate your time uh, joining on the podcast and taking the time. I know you're busy and got a lot of things going on. So uh, good luck with the launch of the book. Like I said, I pre-ordered mine. I hope all the listeners get on and and pre-order theirs or, uh, or order it now. Um, so March 1st, you said is when it comes out, right? 
Yep, that's right. So you can get it anywhere you buy books. And uh, I'm excited about new beginnings for EU too. And uh, just believe good things are ahead and excited for for uh, all the things God's already doing, but I know are still in store too and happy to be a part of them. Awesome. Well, I can't wait till we uh, get lunch again soon, but uh, thanks for joining. And to all our listeners, thank you for listening to Your Calling, our podcast. Until next time, I'm Hector Cruz. And don't forget to share the good news and be the good news. God bless. God bless.